Broadcasting from the Superbook Sports Studios, KTUS AM 1060, Tempe, Phoenix, and KSLX HD2, Scottsdale, Phoenix. It's time to hit the field with Extra Point, featuring Kayla Mortolaro and Bob Kemp on KDUS AM 1060. Tweet the show at KDUS AM 1060 or give us a call at 602-260-1060. The snap is back. The hold is down. You can't miss with this combination. And the extra point is good. Welcome in to Extra Point right here on KDOS AM 1060. As always, follow along with us online at KDOS1060.com and with the KDOS 1060 app powered by Superbook Sports. It's a Friday. It's Friday, September 22nd. Bob Kemp, Kayla Mortolaro with you up until noon today as we typically do. Mondays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays. You guessed it. As a Friday, it's Friday Spread brought to you by Von Hansen's Meats and Spirits. That $100 gift certificate is up for grabs for you. We're also sitting on a wonderful win streak here, 3-0, so we're looking to keep the momentum heading into the weekend. If you aren't sure what it is that we do, if you are the winner of the $100 gift certificate from Von Hansen's Meats and Spirits, come with your weekend play. We put $5 on it, and we're hoping to have money at season's end to a charity. Uh, Von Hansen's Meats and Spirits, they're located 2390 North Alma School in Chandler, vonhansensmeats.net. We'll get into their weekend specials here momentarily. But first, let's set the scene with today's poll questions. Bob had a great conversation. It's always awesome being able to listen to Michael Michael Gelkin of the Dallas Morning News. He was talking all things Cowboys and the situation now ahead that their defense is going to have to face with the loss of Trayvon Diggs, uh, tearing his ACL in practice this week, among many other topics for the Cowboys. So podcast it, kdos1060.com. But here's the question. What happens Sunday from Glendale. Is it a Cowboys minus 12 and a half point day or the Cardinals get the cover at plus 12 and a half? And we're currently now in a 50-50 split. This is not going to be the only time the Cardinals are going to be a double-digit underdog this season. In fact, uh, next week in the look-ahead line, uh, they play at San Francisco and they're a 15 and a half point underdog last time I looked, which was yesterday afternoon. And uh, kind of glimpsing the schedule yesterday, I think they're going to be a double-digit underdog a minimum of six times this season, at least as of right now. So it's uh, not surprising because they have the worst roster in the NFL, and they play some pretty good teams, in fact, several good teams, including the next two weeks. Uh, You had texted me this. I saw it and noticed it as well. The line didn't move at all with the news from Trayvon Diggs. (laughs) It did not, for the most part. I mean, uh, it was actually... There's some, uh, there, there's, you know, 12 and a half is the universal number, but there are some 13s out there, and that didn't even move. So we will answer uh, that question officially around 1130. Still plenty of time for you to cast your vote. Flipping it on over to Twitter at KDOS AM 1060, which 0-2 team wins on Sunday at Minnesota. Chargers sitting at uh, 62.5% of the vote. Vikings 37.5%. I'm not crazy to the must-win thing in, like, September. Uh, but, you know, these are two teams that both made the playoffs last year, and one of these teams, unless there's a tie, is going to be 0-3 and three after Sunday. Uh, so I would think that, uh, you know, I know the 0-3 and three history. I don't have the exact numbers here. But uh, the chances are, even in the 17-game season, that uh, the chances are pretty slim you're going to make the playoffs if you start 0-3. and three. 
I did all the work last week for 0-2 teams. I didn't do any of the work this week for 0-3 teams. So uh, we'll just have to use our imagination for how daunting of a task it is to uh, to overcome that. But I will say this for the, for the Chargers, right? Like they were last season, uh, they rattled off, what, six straight wins in order to get themselves into the playoffs. So there's always opportunities for you to get on a roll and get some momentum and uh, win some games. Better be able to stop the run at some point. They might be able to do that this week because the Vikings can't run. <laughs> That's true. 69 total yards, and they traded for Cam Akers is kind of what the Vikings' status is for the ground game. Uh, so we'll answer that question, though, around 1130 today. Friday spread by Von Hansen's Meats and Spirits. We'll dive into college football, the NFL, all the weekend action, plus Brian Blewis from Pro Football Network will join us talking NFL prop bets at 11:15, here are the Von Hansen's weekend specials for for you. USDA Choice Certified Angus Beef Strip Steaks at five dollars a pound off. Pork Country Style Ribs at three ninety nine a pound, and Fresh Natural Whole Flyers, uh, Fryers, I should say, at one ninety nine a pound. So that's what's happening at Von Hansen's Meats and Spirits. VonHansen'sMeats.net. Let's go back to last night for a minute with the 49ers topping the Giants 30-12. to uh, We know how good the 49ers offense is at operating in space. Here are some numbers for you. 215 of their 310 passing yards came after the catch. That's 69.4%. It was also discussed, uh, I think you specifically talked about it in yesterday's show, about Brock Purdy against the Blitz. Well, he was blitzed 33 of 30 of his dropbacks yesterday, 84.6%, and Purdy got the ball out on an average of 2.34 seconds, which was the fastest of his career. He ended up going 20 of 31, 247 yards, and two touchdowns against the Blitz. Yeah, and he started off poorly in that game. I believe he was three for his first eight. Uh, I think it was even four for ten. Okay, so you can all do the math there, and... uh, and he made some really bad throws early in that game. You know, Kittle saved him at least one interception. And uh, it, uh, he was, you know, wildly inaccurate, which is really unlike him, even in his college days at Iowa State when things didn't go great towards the end of his college career. He was usually still pretty accurate, but, you know, they would have had a whole lot more yards. That's the first 300 regular, 300 yard regular season passing game that he's had in his career. Regular season, the key, because he did have one in the playoffs last year. The 49ers did a great job of converting on third down, keeping uh, the clock management on their side of things. Nine of 16 on third down. If there was something to criticize for this 49ers performance, two of five in the red zone. That's true, and I'm sure that that's you know that's uh, I was I assume that you know Shanahan's gonna you know I don't know if he's gonna lose his mind over that, but I'm sure that that's a a point of emphasis this week, and it's good when you can have those kind of things as a point of emphasis after you win a game by 18 points. Without Saquon, the Giants really didn't even try to run the ball, and that was even before scoreboard dictated as such. It was just a team total, 11 carries for 29 yards, and Nick Bosa on the other side, he got his first sack, and so now everyone can feel better of a 49ers fan. Yeah, I guess so. He has 14 sacks now in his last 10 home games. Uh, Also, of course, the Niners have now won 13 consecutive regular season games, 15 of their last 16 games overall. Uh, as far as uh, you know, the uh, 
you know, the, the regular season I'm talking about. Obviously, they lost the last game of the playoffs. Uh, you mentioned Bosa. I think you make a case that Javon Hargrave has been the best interior lineman in the NFL uh, through the first three weeks of the season. I uh, don't think this changed any after last night, but, but through the first two weeks, he actually had the most pressures of any down defensive lineman in the league. And it seemed like he was in the backfield for pretty much the entire game last night. Just a, a couple other quick things regarding this game. Christian McCaffrey, uh, he, he, was out the, he was on the field for a very high percentage of the snaps the first two weeks. Uh, I think that the plan certainly was uh, you know, a short week to use him less frequently. Also, they had the big lead in the fourth quarter. That helped a little bit. But there was lots of Elijah Mitchell yesterday, and he's been seldom used, uh, used I should say, the first two games. Uh, McCaffrey got another rushing touchdown, and he's now scored at least one touchdown in 12 consecutive games. Uh, we talked about Brandon Ayuk yesterday. He was actually inactive. The one thing I did not hear any news about after the game, so I assume it's not a bad injury, but uh, you know, Dre Greenlaw, who's a stud linebacker, kind of gets lost in the shuffle of all the, uh, quote, stars on the uh, San Francisco defense. He suffered an ankle sprain during the fourth quarter of this game. On the Giants' side, they're now 1-11 in the primetime games with Daniel Jones as the starting quarterback, even though last night certainly uh, was not his fault in any shape or form. Uh, they had four defensive penalties that resulted in San Francisco first downs last night. And once again, they were without, as we knew before the game, Andrew Thomas and Ben Bredesen, the left side of their offensive line because of injury. And then in the fourth quarter, they lost right tackle Evan Neal to injury, and that didn't look good. Um, I think it would, you know, they get a long week now because they obviously played the short uh, Thursday night week this week, uh, but we'll see what's up with that. Also, one quick prediction here for the rest of the season. I think there's going to be more double-digit point spreads in the NFL this year than we have ever seen before because there are a lot of really bad teams in this league. Yeah, so the Evan Neal injury that you're talking about, he looked like he rolled his ankle pretty badly there, so we'll have to right. you know, monitor that situation there for the Giants' uh, offensive line. Now, there were a couple of uh, plays that Kirk Herbstreet was quite critical of uh, Darren Waller not bailing out his quarterback. Uh, one, not he, he said not climbing the ladder to get the ball and then not uh, uh, going out forcefully with his hands to catch the ball. Did you kind of notice that as well, or... Uh, you know, it, it, tight windows, things happen, didn't make the play. Well, I didn't watch the game live because um, I'm not paying to watch the Thursday night football. But, yeah, it seems like if uh, if you watch NFL Network and if you've watched, uh, you know, the uh, ESPN recap right after the game, it seems like they play almost every highlight of the game. Uh, but I didn't notice either of those things. I will watch the game this afternoon. It's on well, it was on last night, 9.30, but I was done by 9.30 last night. Uh, they replayed on the NFL Network. They also replayed at noon today, our time. Uh, so uh, I'll pay attention to that when I rewatch the game a little bit. And even though I don't know how intent I'm going to be on watching this game since it wasn't that close. Yeah, obviously the 49ers will be uh, the next opponent for the Cardinals on Sunday, and the Giants even have a longer week as they play on Monday night hosting the Seahawks. Oh. So. I guess that could be good news for, uh, you know, Andrew Thomas, Gredison, if Evan Neal's situation uh, needs an extra day. And then who knows what's going on with uh, Saquon Barkley. The TV broadcast seemed to indicate that Saquon uh, thinks he can play next week. 
Yeah, Bredesen, you know, concussion, and, you know, you know I think I'm always um, leery to, you know, project concussions because, you know, actually have had a couple of those back in the day, way back in the day, and you don't really know how you're going to feel from day to day for a while. So, you know, it's, you know, I think it was pretty obvious he wasn't going to play this week, but, you know, hopefully with the extra time he can come back and, yeah, he's a good player, and uh, you know Andrew Thomas. He's he's been out for two weeks now, so I would assume uh, it's uh, if I had to guess, it would seem unless he's just got a horrible injury that we haven't heard about, uh, he would be able to be back for that Monday night game. Friday spread by Von Hansen's Meats and Spirits. We get going with the weekend that is in college football on the other side of the break. It is the extra point right here on KDOS AM ten sixty. Your morning drive just got a little better. The Dan Patrick Show is live weekday morning starting at 6 exclusively on KDUS AM 1060. Welcome back to Extra Point right here on KDUS AM 1060. As always, follow along with us online and with the KDOS 1060 app powered by Superbook Sports. Definitely be downloading that KDOS 1060 app. Register, that's the key component there, and follow along with the listener rewards guide for you as there's a $100 gift certificate up for grabs now through the end of September. But let's get into Friday spread by Von Hansen's Meats and Spirits, and we'll start with the college football weekend. And we'll start with Florida State and Clemson here. Uh, last I look at this morning, things had changed a little bit, odds. Uh, Florida State down to a minus one and a half favorite. Clemson up to plus one and a half uh, underdog. Over under stayed the same at 55 and a half. FSU is favored at Clemson for the first time since 2014. FSU's running backs, a combination of that great crew, are averaging 5.4 yards per carry. Clemson's offense, though, has been pretty stagnant. I know they moved the ball against Duke, but they stalled out in the red zone with many different, uh, you know, turnovers, blocked field goals, things of that nature. Clemson's offense, though, despite having a Riley brother as the offensive coordinator, has just four plays that have gained 30-plus yards. Clemson's passing attack sees 33% of their throws at or behind the line of scrimmage. And they've been really bad in the red zone. And they also basically trashed their kicker. Uh, they brought in a freshman kicker. They had a guy that kicked there for like six years, and I'm not exaggerating. And he finally left at the end of last year. They have brought a kicker literally out of retirement uh, who was still enrolled in school. In fact, he's in graduate school there, and he's kicking for them this week. Uh, so we'll see how that goes. And, uh, first time they've been a home underdog in 47 games. Clemson. They've won 25 consecutive games at home against the ACC opponents. That's according to ESPN, so I'm assuming that's accurate. Uh, Florida State on the other side, they've lost seven in a row to Clemson, no matter where they played. Uh, I think they're actually pretty happy that this is a noon start, and uh, I'm sure that uh, many people, uh, Clemson fans, will be lubricated by noon, but they'd probably be more lubricated if it were a night game. Uh, so we'll see what's up with that. I think there's just a huge quarterback advantage in this game for Florida State, assuming Jordan Travis's shoulder, left shoulder, 
uh, is okay. He did leave. Uh, I, I, he, he got hurt at the end of the first half last week against BC. Uh, came back and played the second half and uh, didn't seem like they had any called running plays after that. So we'll see what's going on with that. I just think that Florida State has too many playmakers on both sides of the ball here. And I think they're better at the line of scrimmage. I think that's the biggest dip for Clemson. Uh, really kind of started a couple years ago when uh, the end of that season, when they lost that bowl game to Ohio State, who had never, ever, not one time, beaten Clemson in uh, you know, many tries. Uh, and Ohio State dominated the line of scrimmage in that game, and Clemson seemingly has not gotten better at the line of scrimmage in the last three seasons. You know, Dabo has been pretty outspoken against NIL. And are we starting to see some of the impacts of maybe not embracing that process as as much as other schools have? Or is it just kind of a a cycle that you go through that it's Florida State's time now? I actually think that Dabo is really missing his assistance. I mean, those guys have gone, he's lost three or four guys that have gone on, and it's not like they've been great head coaches somewhere. But it seems like the uh, player development uh, is not what it has been at Clemson in the past. Uh, I think they actually, I don't really know where to stand on the NIL thing, but clearly the fact that they have very few transfers and not even close to the transfer numbers that many of the top programs, including Florida State, uh, have. And I think that that has sunk them. The combination of the coaching staff changing and seemingly, you know, you know, moving, you know, not improving, uh, and the fact that uh, that they haven't taken advantage of the portal, I think that those things have dragged Clemson down. Who knows? Maybe I'll you know feel like a fool after saying this by uh, you know by noon tomorrow our time. But I just I think that this program is taking a few steps back. Um, when it comes to another 12:30 kickoff, you have UCLA and Utah. We did touch on this a little bit this week, but it's worth going over again here in Friday spread. Uh, UCLA plus five and a half, Utah minus five and a half. Over under sitting at 52 and a half. Numbers coming from the FanDuel Sportsbook app. UCLA's defense is allowing two rushing yards per carry. Put a little asterisk next to that as to who their opponents have been thus far. Rookie quarterback Dante Moore, 62.7 percent completion percent seven touchdowns and one interception. Uh, I think here the other factors are UCLA hasn't won in Salt Lake since 2015. Uh, the question marks are can UCLA hang physicality-wise with Utah for Utah? Are they going to have quarterback Cam Rising? And also just a n- little nugget here based upon Utah's defense. They have forced three and outs 44% of the time through their first three games. Yeah, there's speculation uh, in the betting market and also some speculation in Salt Lake City in the last couple of days that Cam Rising, who was actually cleared to play two weeks ago, is going to play in this game. And just looking at their schedule and kind of looking back now, I wonder if this was the plan all along. They weren't going to lose to those teams that they've already played, including Florida in the first game on the the Thursday night game, I think it was, uh, to begin the season. Uh, they've been down to Nate Johnson at quarterback, who was actually their fourth quarterback in the spring, and you know their third quarterback at the start of the fall practice. Uh, so you know, rising it would be just a tremendous improvement in every facet, even if he's not uh, 
Uh, I wouldn't say he was a daredevil runner before, but unfortunately his last two seasons have ended with injuries in the Rose Bowl that have really you know, wiped out his entire offseason. Uh, as far as UCLA goes, I think the biggest question for me in this game for them, in addition to the physicality thing that you mentioned, is that you know their freshman quarterback, uh, Moore, uh, it's his second road game, and it's not like that he played in a hostile environment at San Diego State. I'm sure there were tons of UCLA fans in that game, active game in San Diego earlier this month. Uh, and they actually had a bunch of false start penalties in that game, and it's not like it's a you know overwhelming crowd noise thing at San Diego State. Uh, there, it's going to be a whole lot more crowd noise uh, tomorrow in Salt Lake City. Ole Miss and Alabama here, another twelve thirty game. Uh, Ole Miss plus seven, Alabama minus seven. Over under sitting at fifty five and a half. Jalen Milrow back at quarterback. Here's what's going on with the Alabama offensive line statistically. They have allowed forty six percent pressure rate to Texas. They allowed a fifty seven percent pressure rate to USF. It gets worse. They rank one hundred and thirtieth in sacks allowed per dropback and one hundred and eighteenth in pressure rate allowed. Ole Miss, on the other hand, has 12 plays of 30-plus yards this season on their offensive side of the ball. Their offensive line, though, ranks 65th in sacks allowed. Yeah. Um, uh, I appreciate the research there for Alabama. It kind of backs up what I've been saying about their offensive line the last uh, couple of weeks here. They're bad. Uh, I mentioned earlier this week that I think it's the uh, – I don't even think it's an arguable point, at least to this point, uh, time at least this point of the season that they're this is the worst offensive line that Nick Saban has had at Alabama. Uh, so you know, hopefully that gets better. They're supposed to be, you know, they got all these five star guys, but they're not performing at a high level at all, including their stud left tackle. Now he's a young kid, I think he's even a freshman. Uh, he's been really bad. Uh, so we'll see if that changes. I wish I could just trust Old Miss, but I can't. Uh, two reasons one. They were really fortunate to beat Tulane a couple of weeks ago on the road, and that was a shorthanded Tulane team without its starting quarterback and a couple of their better defensive players. That was a 17-10 game in the fourth quarter before Old Miss scored a top couple of touchdowns late, including I think it was one on defense. If it wasn't a touchdown on defense, it was a turnover that set up a touchdown. Uh, and also... Perhaps even more disturbing is that Jamison Judkins, who's a tremendous college running back, uh, I assume he's going to be in the NFL, but he's a tremendous college running back. Uh, he hasn't been 100% really at any, uh, physically at any part of this season so far, and I can't, can't imagine that he's going to you know, just boom, show up tomorrow and be 100%. Maybe he will be. I know he made a big play last week, but you know that, that bothers me too. And I just want to see Lane win one of these games before I can back an Old Miss. They've been in a few of these spots in the last two or three years and fallen on their face. So I've provided there some statistics. And when you look, though, at Alabama's squads, they've had some missteps, you know, throughout the course of the years. They've they've been able to right the ship and oftentimes, you know, play for an SEC title game, play for a national championship game. But doesn't this just feel different this year? It does. They've only scored 41 points the last two weeks. I'm not going to do the research. Sorry, I'm not going to do it. But I can't imagine there's been too many times over a two-week stretch in the last 15 years that they've scored only 41 points. Uh, their defense, 
and we talked about the offense. Their defense enters the week, and that hasn't changed because nobody from the SEC played last night. So they are last in the SEC in completion percentage on defense. That's not good. No. <laughs> and Old Miss will throw it, that's for sure. I just wish I trusted Old Miss, but I don't. Colorado and Oregon here, plus 21 and a half. Colorado minus 21 and a half for Oregon. Over under sitting at 70 and a half. We know uh, Travis Hunter will not be part of this contest. It's a big deal missing the two-way star. Shador Sanders, uh, I think we've both been very impressed with his uh, ability to throw the ball, his decision-making. The question here, though, is will this offensive line be able to hold up? Plus, this offensive line will be facing... A defensive line that is absolutely the biggest and strongest across the line that they have faced so far this year. Uh, When it comes to just the numbers here, uh, Colorado's offensive line ranks 126th in sacks allowed. Then on the flip side of this, Colorado's defense, can they slow anyone down? They rank 89th in points allowed per drive and 96th in success rate allowed. They're also 122nd in the country in rush defense. And that's considering that's even worse than you would say that it sounds if you factor in that, you know, they've been ahead in, you know, the first two games that they played pretty much from start to finish and teams were still able to run the ball against them when they weren't doing it for a living. A lot of those times that those teams were actually chasing points and they still allow that many start still allow that many rushing yards is disturbing. Um I was last week. I said that I almost I was hoping that Colorado would win by a large margin. I get a good number here. Well, Colorado was actually lucky to win that game last week against Colorado State, and the number, which was like 13 and a half, 14 last week at some of the look-ahead spots and that could post numbers, that's gone up to 21. I'm not on this game anymore. Oregon State and Washington State. Oregon State minus two and a half. Washington State plus two and a half. Over under sitting at 57 and a half. DJU has looked good so far with the Beavers. If WSU can get after him, can they get in a rhythm and handle the pressure here? Uh, the Beavers rush game, though, we know how good it is behind Damian Martinez. 40 carries, 351 yards, one touchdown. Hard to imagine that they will stray from that identity. Uh, when it comes, though, to. Uh, Cameron Ward, has he figured it out being a quarterback for the Cougars? He obviously is also their leading rusher as well. Oregon State's defense averages, though, nearly nine tackles for a loss per game. Yeah, I think there's a line of scrimmage advantage here for Oregon State. Uh, I'm not betting on this game because I have Oregon State at 10-1 to to win the Pac-12. Uh, so I think that would be foolish for me to like double down, and you know, this, especially early in the season like this. I this is somewhat of a perplexing game for me though because I didn't think Washington State was going to be any good. Uh, Cam Ward, seventy-two percent with no interceptions, and they played an okay schedule. And then that that blowout win at Kansas or Colorado State looks a whole lot better now than it did a couple of weeks ago. And they beat Wisconsin, and the score was closer than it really was. They 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 took care of Wisconsin. They they were clearly the superior team. Last year, Ward, when they played close games, made some really bad decisions and resulted in turnovers. I just don't trust him. Uh, Like I said, I don't have a bet on this game. I'm going to be, this might be the game, well, other than (laughs) Ohio State Notre Dame, that I'm most closely going to watch. But there's a whole bunch of games that fall into that category. A couple games we've already talked about. 
but I'm very intrigued to watch this because I'm I can't imagine that I was this far off on Washington State before the season and they're this good. I'm not I don't a big question mark of whether that's true or not. 4:30 contest for Ohio State and Notre Dame. Uh, Ohio State minus three and a half. Notre Dame plus three and a half. Over under sitting at 55 and a half here. Ohio State has won the last five meetings between these two schools. Notre Dame's offense has eight passes of 40 or more plus yards so far. Sam Hartman, Hartman, 71% completion percentage. Ohio State's defense is fifth in success rate allowed and will obviously face its toughest test though on offense so far with. Notre Dame. Meanwhile, Notre Dame's defense ranks second in passing success rate allowed, sixth in three and out rate. The areas of struggles are with the run defense in that they are 58th in rushing success rate allowed. Yeah, if I had to do anything in this game, I would uh, you know take Notre Dame and uh, three and a half is a good number if you want to take Notre Dame because most uh, national, international locations that are you know, taking bets in this game, and the number is three. I even saw a two and a half last night, which is kind of a you know, bad odds maker number, I think. Uh, they must have just gotten pounded and thought that they had to get some kind of some kind of uh, take back the other way on that. Uh, but uh, you know, if you're looking for uh, looking for Notre Dame, there are threes out there. Uh, excuse me, if you're looking for Ohio State, there are threes out there. Uh, this is the biggest home game for Notre Dame since uh, the USC Bush push game, which I'm pretty sure was in 2005. Apologize, I didn't exactly look up exactly the year. I think it was through 2005. Interesting uh, coaching situation here. Marcus Freeman and James Laurinaitis uh, were linebackers together at Ohio State. Uh, tremendous linebacker combination. Uh, they almost won a national championship. Uh, together in the mid six, uh, mid uh, yeah, to the uh, first decade of this uh, first decade of this century, uh, they were they were tremendous players and they were really good. Uh, Laurenitis was actually on the Notre Dame staff for Freeman last year, but Notre Dame didn't retain him or whatever reason. Laurenitis is now on the Ohio State staff this year, so he's familiar with the uh, personnel certainly. Sam Hartman's been amazing. He's going to be the best quarterback in this game. It's been a long time since Ohio State has played a high-profile opponent where they had, didn't have the best quarterback other than when they played Trevor Lawrence. Uh, for you know, you know, seven, eight years, they've had the better quarterback. Hartman, 71% so far, 13 touchdowns, zero interceptions. Not exactly the best defenses, even though I think NC State – which has been a good defense in the past, is still pretty good, but he made them look pretty silly. They also have a ton of 20-plus yard plays so far this season at Notre Dame. Defensive line injuries might be a problem for Notre Dame in this game, but I'm not sure Ohio State can run the ball. Uh, they haven't really run the ball against anybody that's any good so far this year. They ran the ball against Western Kentucky, which is a very small defensive front. And at times, they only played two defensive linemen in that game. So if Ohio State couldn't run the ball in that game, they're never going to be able to run the ball. Ohio State against top 10 opponents away from Columbus, whether it's a road game or a bowl game, last six times against the top 10, they are 1-5 straight up. Here locally, U of A minus 12 and a half, Stanford plus 12 and a half, over under sitting at 59 and a half. It's a four o'clock start on the Pac-12 network. Stanford's defense uh, can't stop the pass. Meanwhile, U of A's offense averages 300 yards per game through the air. Question here, can the U of A eliminate some turnovers? 
Yeah, well, good luck with that. Uh, yeah, Jordan, Jaden Delora is the king of the turnover, usually in the worst spot, usually against good opponents. Uh, the U of A has uh, proven it can beat bad opponents the last couple of years. However, they've won a grand total of one road game in the Jed Fish era. This is year three. They won one road game, and that was last year, the opener at San Diego State. Uh, Stanford Lewis, their starting quarterback, who was injured against USC, expected to be back in this game. Stanford lost last week to Sacramento State. Uh, their coach now uh, at Stanford was previously at Sacramento State. Um, I, I can't trust the U of A laying points on the road, you know, considering they've won one road game in two years, three seasons, basically. Uh, but you know, I think Stanford, arguably, maybe along with ASU, uh, has the worst talent level of any team in the Pac-12. USC and ASU, it's a 7.30 start on uh, Fox. You have USC minus 34.5, ASU plus 34.5, over-under sitting at 62.5. Obviously, Caleb Williams, the talent that he brings to the field. His rookie uh, rookie freshman wide receiver emergence of Zachariah Branch, nine catches, 110 yards, two touchdowns. I saw that uh, Pete Thamel is reporting for ASU. Drew Pine is set to get the start. Well, he's familiar with USC. He was a starting quarterback for Notre Dame last year when they lost at USC, and they actually hung in that game for a while uh, last year, at a, a, a good while at Notre at, uh, That game was in Los Angeles last year. So good luck uh, for t- uh, Drew Pine. I'm not sure if the four offensive linemen that were injured for ASU last week are playing this week. And I'll just throw in one other quick thing about Williams against a really bad schedule of defenses uh, so far this year. He leads the nation in yards per attempt, and he's had zero turnovers. ASU, I think they got some pretty good defensive players, and if the way that their offense has put them in bad situations, uh, I think that their defense has actually performed at least average or maybe even above average so far. Friday spread by Von Hansen's Meats and Spirits. USDA Choice Certified Angus Beef Strip Steaks at $5 a pound off. Pork Country Style Ribs at $3.99 a pound. And Fresh Natural Whole Fryers at $1.99 a pound. That's over at Von Hansen's Meats and Spirits, 2390 North Alma School in Chandler. The Extra Point Friday spread continues on the other side of the break. We'll get into the NFL games over on Sunday uh, here on KDOS AM 1060 in the Extra Point. The Dan Patrick Show, weekday mornings from 6 to 9 a.m. This is just uh, something I like to call breakfast. With big-name guests, timely sports information, and more on KTUS AM 1060. Diving into the NFL games on Sunday, Friday spread, brought to you by Von Hansen's Meats and Spirits. It is the extra point right here on KDOS AM 1060. As always, follow along with us online at KDOS1060.com and with the KDOS 1060 app, powered by Superbook Sports, on this Friday, September 22nd. Let's dive right into it here with the Titans and the Browns. Uh, we now have a line here of Titans plus 3.5, Browns minus 3.5, over-under sitting at 39. Nine and a half numbers coming to you from the FanDuel Sportsbook app. Obviously, the news in regards surrounding the Cleveland Browns with Nick Chubb being put on IR, uh, signing Kareem Hunt. Uh, Kevin Stefanski, though, saying that Ford will be the starter. Hunt will play this weekend, just whether or not how much he will 
up for debate. Um, question marks surrounding Deshaun Watson at quarterback as well. The Browns defense, though, they have allowed just one touchdown in 29 drives. That equates to just 3.4%. That's true. Of course, remember that uh, I'm sure that people, maybe most people remember, it's all the way back to Monday night uh, that they, you know, the defense uh, did fine. The, you know, the Browns allowed two defensive touchdowns from Pittsburgh in that game. Deshaun Watson, you would assume uh, that he's going to have to carry the offense even a little bit more now. And uh, he has the lowest uh, off-target percentage in the NFL uh, through two weeks this season. I mentioned earlier that I thought he had not performed well. Uh, Now, since uh, yesterday, I've learned that he has the lowest off-target percentage in the NFL through two weeks. Uh, one other quick thing in this game, and I actually like the under in this game, by the way, was the number you gave there. Sorry. 39 and a half. Yeah. It, it has moved. Know, search around. <laughs> you, you can do better than 39 and a half. Uh, but, uh, you know, get the best number and bet under is what I'm going to try to do here. Uh, DeAndre Hopkins, by the way, people are going to drive off. Don't If you're on the highway, don't drive off the road here. He, had, he was a full practice participant. On Wednesday, I don't know how many times that ever happened when he was here, but don't get too excited because he was limited on Thursday. (laughs) The Chargers and the Vikings will save that one for our poll question uh, on Twitter at KDOS AM 1060, and we'll skip over to the Patriots and the Jets. Patriots minus 2.5, Jets plus 2.5, over-under sitting at 36.5. So, you know, is it kind of stunning to see a Bill Belichick coach team continue to make fundamental errors, mental mistakes, and they're certainly a team that doesn't have that margin in order to continue winning games? It is to some extent, uh, but you know their offensive line I don't think is very good, and they've lost corner you know cornerbacks like crazy here. You know Jack Jones, ASU alum, is already out on injury reserve. He's going to miss at least two more weeks. Marcus Jones, they placed him on injury reserve yesterday, so he's out for at least the next four games. I don't really have a good reason for why the offensive line's not good, but it has not been very good so far this year. Uh, this is a really – this number has gone lower, and I'm guessing it might even go lower than what it is now because this looks like there's going to be yet another bad, Patriots bad weather game. <laughs> Uh, but there could be some really bad weather in this game on Sunday, depending on what the latest situation and the East Coast storms going on here. Going to affect some college games tomorrow, by the way, too. Uh, but uh, the Patriots, uh, from anywhere from like uh, you know, Virginia on up uh, for tomorrow. Uh, but the Patriots, they've gone, they've won 14 consecutive games against the Jets. Patriots are also zero and two for the first time since 2001. They won the Super Bowl that year, by the way. Uh, they haven't started uh, zero and three since 2000, so we'll see what's going on. I just can't. You know, the Jets had the ball for 17 minutes last week against Dallas. Uh, their offensive line, which we questioned the entire offseason, has been horrible. And uh, you know, you want Zach Wilson chasing points because that's pretty much what it seems like it's going to be at some point, unless the uh, New England offense is even worse than I think. 
The Texans and the Jaguars here. You have uh, the Texans plus eight and a half, Jags minus eight and a half, over under sitting at 44 and a half. It does look like C.J. Stroud is going to be the only rookie quarterback uh, from the draft playing this week. The Jaguars, though, need to show something on offense after a, kind of a sluggish uh, game against the Chiefs. Also, question marks here about uh, the uh, Texans offensive line with CJ Stroud leading the league with sacks uh, being sacked 11 times well they had four offensive linemen out last week that'll help uh, contribute to that number uh, yeah, at least one of those offensive tackles expected to be back Tunsil expected to be back or might be back this week however their top three safeties are out uh, also, Derek Stingley Jr., their top corner, is reportedly headed to IR, uh, reportedly headed to IR, according to an early report this morning. You mentioned Stroud, but he's had some shoulder issues, issues and was limited in some practices this week. I'm not sure what his situation is today. He's actually made some really good throws, not surprising because he's an extremely accurate passer. He's had no picks the first two games. He's had some good numbers because they're always chasing points. Uh, so we'll see, but... Uh, yeah, you know, Jacksonville, uh, I'm going to go a little harsher on this. I thought they sucked last week on offense, and Trevor Lawrence was one of the reasons. He was 0 for 7 in the red zone. Now, a couple of those passes could have been caught, but he also had two almost for sure touchdowns that he just sailed passes right out of the end zone against Kansas City. With the line being eight and a half, and if you're a believer in the Jags at home, potential leg for you in a teaser, uh, getting it down to two and a half. Yeah. Yeah, I'll add one other quick thing. If they don't get it together on offense this week, I think there's serious reason for concern and criticism. We'll get into more NFL games on the other side of the break, and something tells me as well it'll also be part of our number two in today's Extra Point right here on KDOS AM 1060. Of course, Bob Camp, Kayla Mortolaro with you up until noon today, as we typically do Mondays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays. We wrap up our number one with Friday's spread NFL conversation continuing next. Catch the Doug Gottlieb Show weekdays from 1 to 3 p.m. right here on KDUS AM 1060 and online at KDUS1060.com. online at kdos1060.com and with the kdos1060 app powered by superbook sports continuing our friday spread discussion sunday slate of action around the nfl with the bills and the commanders here bills minus six and a half commanders plus six and a half over under sitting at 43 and a half here uh you know you have to ask the the question how impactful will the commander's defensive front be against the bills offensive line will they be able to force josh josh allen into some mistakes then on the flip side of that, can the Bills defensive front get after Sam Howell with some of the offensive line issues for the Commanders? If the Commanders win, though, this will be the first time that they've started 3-0 and since 2005. But also something to note here when it comes to Washington's defense and then related to the Bills and their tight end situation, Washington allows over 50% success rate in two tight end sets. 
And that would be even better if Zach Ertz would have caught some passes in week one. Uh, so there's that. Uh, you mentioned uh, the the, the uh, commanders. You almost used the hard word. <laughs> the commanders. Uh, they're actually two and zero for the first time since 2011. So that's a big step up for them. Uh, their defense, which I thought was really good before this season, it might even be better than I thought. And Chase Young was unbelievable in the fourth quarter last week in that week two win at Denver. He had a lot to do with them getting the ball back frequently and making that big comeback. And uh, if he can contribute, they're going to be maybe amongst uh, – I wouldn't even say maybe. They're going to be amongst the best defenses in the league. Uh, they need to get a, off to a better start, though. They have a grand total of two first-half touchdowns the first two weeks of the season against the Cardinals and the Broncos. As far as the Bills are concerned, you know, Allen was re- less reckless last week. They ended up with 38 points, and they had no turnovers against the Raiders. I do totally agree with that Bill's offensive line assessment that you had there. Uh, I'm looking for Washington. I think there are actually some better numbers than six out there. Uh, And also, I might look to play this total over. Uh, I know I just said all those good things about the the commander's defense, but I do think the Bills had a pretty good offense. But but I I also think that Washington can score some points, even though we didn't see that in week, week one. Their offensive line was better last week at Denver. Uh, Then you have the Colts and the Ravens here. No Anthony Richardson, so it's going to be Gardner Minshew, Anthony Richardson in concussion protocol. Uh, Colts plus 8.5, Ravens minus 8.5, over under sitting at 44.5. Lamar looked better in week two, so you have to just kind of wonder if that was shedding some of the rust and uh, really the lack of time that they spent together in game action if you will so from what we saw from week one to to week two uh so for the ravens here going up against this colts opponent yeah um i really don't know what the situation is with their offensive line my apologies you know stanley and linderbaum i'm not sure what their status is for this week as far as the colts are concerned I know at least one person that thinks they're right now, not long-term, but right now better off with Win- Minshew as the quarterback. Also, one other quick thing about uh, the Bills' offense, uh, we talked about Zach Moss quite a bit uh, during the Sports Zone on Tuesday with John McKechnie, our weekly uh, fantasy update, uh, John from rotowire.com. And uh, Zach, uh, Zach Moss, uh, good news uh, is that you know, basically he's the guy. And he got 100% of the carries or touches last week in that game. And uh, Ryan Hall, uh, who was maybe in consideration to take some of those snaps, he was placed on IR this week. When it comes to the Ravens, uh, you had Ronnie Stanley as well as Tyler Linderbaum not practicing Wednesday and Thursday. Don't have an update so far from today. So uh, we'll have to see if they make some progress to be available for uh, week three. You also have to monitor Odell Beckham Jr. And you have to monitor uh, Justice Hill. So once again, the Ravens have been uh, dealing with injuries earlier, yeah. early on in the season. Gus Edwards time. Uh, so if you're in a fantasy league and you have Gus Edwards, good for you. I tried to pick up in a deep league and not realizing that he was like picked and uh, you know, he was already picked in the league during our actual long draft. <laughs> so whoops on me. More around the NFL for Friday spread to kick off hour number two on the other side of the break. Plus, Brian Blewis of Pro Football Network set to join us at 11.15 to talk NFL props. It's all happening here on KDOS AM 1060, hour two on the other side.